Today, we're going to be talking about the importance of church. That's a message series we're in, and in this series, we're talking about how being part of a local church family is essential for each and every believer. In this series, we are looking at God's five main purposes for the church. We began in this series by looking at the purpose of worship, when we worship God together like we did this Sunday morning. You know, when we worship God here on earth, we are actually joining in the heavenly worship that's going on unceasingly in heaven. It's incredible. We're worshiping with the angels who are worshiping in heaven. And as believers, as we worship God together with everything we have, we're, we're building our relationship with him. And, and in a, not a strange way, a wonderful way, we're, we're actually building relationships with our fellow worshipers. The second purpose we looked at last Sunday was the purpose of, of fellowship. And that's specifically about building relationships with other believers in the church family. If you're a believer here this morning and, and uh, you're sitting next to a believer, that believer is your brother and sister, brother or sister, couldn't be both. Okay, i got to be clear in today's environment. It was your brother or sister, and uh, you are part of God's family with other believers in the church. And as we build relationships with other believers, we're not to be lone rangers, we're to build relationships with other believers, then we become more and more a loving church. And one of the ways we do that, we're going to talk more about that, is being involved in a life group, small group, to meet with other believers, grow closer to God with one another. Now today we're going to talk about a discipling church. We're talking about the third purpose of the church, third out of five, which is the purpose of discipleship. What is a disciple? Now some people, well, there were 12 disciples, right? Well, that's true. But in the Bible, a disciple is simply a believer. A disciple is a follower of Jesus Christ. And every believer, therefore, is a disciple. Now, you become a disciple by being saved, by committing your life to Jesus Christ. But that's just the first step. Because discipleship is a lifelong journey for each and every believer. A lifelong journey to becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Now, in your bulletins, there's a, in your programs, there's a white page somewhere, here it is, that has the outline on it, it's written out, it has uh, some blanks there for you to fill in from the slides as we go on, and on the back are study questions, there's a study guide, you can use that in your own personal study time, and most of our life groups are following that as well, so we encourage you to follow along today. The first verse we want to look at today is Matthew 28. Jesus said, therefore, go and make disciples, there's a word disciple, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. And so every believer, therefore, is a disciple. But not only are you a disciple, in, this, in, this ver in these verses, Jesus commands every disciple to go and make New disciples. Now this is part, not part here, these verses of what's called the Great Commission. Now the first step in making a disciple, where to go and make disciples, is, is for a person to repent and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. The second step to making disciples is that those born-again disciples need to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. 
And then the phrase that we want to concentrate on today is teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Now, what did Jesus command? Well, he commanded his disciples to obey everything that he said and everything that's written in the scripture. That's what we are to follow. Now, notice that Jesus did not say, teaching them everything I've commanded you. He said, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And so that is a big difference than simply learning. And so Jesus here outlines two steps, two basic steps in discipling believers. Step one, a believer must be taught God's word. They need to learn what God's word says. They need to know God's word. But that's just the first step. The second step is that the believer must obey God's word. They must put into practice, they must apply what they've learned to their lives. And until that happens, the believer is not going to grow as a disciple of Jesus. Now, you can't obey God's word if you don't know it, right? So you got to know that's the first step. But you can know God's word without obeying it. And that's pretty common. And so I believe we all know more of God's word than we actually put into practice. And so we need, we need God to help us both to know God's word and to put it into practice in our lives. Psalm 119.11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And so knowing God's word, putting it in our hearts, hiding it in our hearts is for a purpose. And here this verse says, uh, purpose is not sinning against God. Now, whenever we talk about sin, most people think of sin as wrong things that we may do. And so most people think, well, if I hide God's word in my heart, I'm not going to do bad things, or it's going to help me not do bad things. And that's true. But in fact, that's not the entire meaning of the verse, because there are, the Bible teaches two types of sins. The first type is a sin of commission. That's when you do something wrong. The Bible says, don't do this. You know, the Ten Commandments, don't murder, okay? That's a command of commission. If you murder somebody, you do something wrong. But sin in the Bible is also are also sins of omission. And a sin of omission is when you neglect to do something right. And we're all guilty of a lot of sins of omission because we don't think they're sin. So the Bible says do this and we don't do it. It's like, well, I haven't sinned, I haven't done anything wrong. Well, you haven't done what's right. And so there are two types of sins that God's word helps us to overcome as we hide it in our hearts, sins of commission and sins of omission. So we're talking about knowing God's word. Do Americans today know God's word? And unfortunately, biblical literacy is declining, and in fact, it's declining at a rapid pace today. I don't have, I'm going to give you some statistics, I don't have all of them, but millennials, which are younger people, the rate of Bible reading and knowledge of the Bible is plummeting in millennials. Which, what does that mean? In the years coming up, the overall rate is going to continue to go down unless something changes. We mentioned some stats a couple of Sundays ago, which was that 90% uh, of the people who claim to be Christians cannot give correct answers to eight basic 
very basic questions about what the Bible teaches. Only 10% of people who claim to be Christians can answer just extremely basic. We went over them. You can go back a couple weeks to know what those questions were. And so that means that only 7% of the population has even a basic understanding of the Bible. Bolster George Barna in 2016 came out with a survey that showed only 13% of Americans read their Bible every day. And my guess is that's probably high. Some people kind of padded the answer. 13%. 61% of people wish they read the Bible more than they do. So George say, well, why don't? If you want to read the Bible more, why don't you? Number one reason. Anybody guess? Yeah, too busy. Too busy was the word. So you, you got it right. They're just too busy. Well, what's the problem? When you're too busy to do what God commands, your priorities in life are not in proper order. God should be top order in our lives, top priority. And so in order to be disciples of Jesus that he commands us to be, we have two issues. Uh, first, we really don't know the Bible as we should. We need to know the Bible in a greater degree. Uh, and secondly, we don't obey what we do now. The Bible tells us to do. And so today we're going to look at some basic, some basic practices of obedience to God's word that every disciple should do. And the wonderful thing is as we put these spiritual disciplines into practice in our lives, then God blesses us. He promises to bless us. And we're going to grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And we're going to become more effective at obeying the Great Commission going and making disciples. So let's look at the first practice of basic discipleship. Spending time daily with God. Psalm 119 says, I rise before dawn and cry for help. I have put my hope in your word. And so I believe the most important spiritual discipline, the most important habit to develop as a disciple of Jesus Christ is to have a daily quiet time with Him. What is that? It's a time alone with God. Ideally, in a quiet place. Some people have trouble finding a quiet place and God, God will help you. Uh, a place where you're not distracted, where you can concentrate on God. So in this verse, the psalmist talks about rising before dawn and crying for help. What is that? It's prayer. He's talking to God. He said, God, I need help in these areas of my life. Secondly, he puts his hope in God's word. God has spoken and he puts his hope in the word of God. So let's break down what should happen in our daily time with God. First of all, studying God's word. Second Timothy says all scripture, circle that word all. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So God's Word from Genesis to Revelation is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is breathed out from God. It's useful to teach us new things. It's useful to point out sin in our lives. It's useful to guide our plans and help us make decisions. It's useful to train us to serve God in the way that He wants us to, in a way honoring to Him. And so our daily time with God should always involve reading and studying God's Word. 
Now, I made the point here to study God's Word rather than just read God's Word. There's a little bit of difference between reading and studying, is there not? Uh, most of us learn that when we go through school. Um, if you just read and take the test, you don't get as high a score as if you study and take the test. What's the difference between reading and studying? Well, studying is, is simply taking time to think over what you've read. The Bible speaks of meditating on God's Word, thinking it over, not just reading it quickly and checking a box off. I've read my Bible for the day. Studying it. Uh, studying it, as we'll see, to put it into practice. It also can be uh, using other books to help you to understand what God's Word says. And as you study God's Word, we need to ask God to reveal to us what He wants us to learn, what He wants us to apply to our lives. And so as we study God's Word, we pray and listen to God. Psalm 5.3, the psalmist says, In the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. And so a daily quiet time with God should include not only reading and studying God's Word, it should include praying to God. Now, praying involves two basic co components because you're relating to a person. God is a person. And when you relate to another human being and you have a conversation with them, what are the two aspects? Well, number one, you speak to them. And secondly, you listen when they speak back to you. If one person just talks to somebody else and never listens to what the other person says, how's that relationship going to go? South, south, yeah. Not so good. Not so good. And the same is true when our praying to God. When we pray to God, we pray, we talk to Him, and we listen to what He says back to us. In this verse, the psalmist speaks of asking God for things. He's laying his request before God, and he's waiting expectantly. He's waiting for God to answer. He's waiting to hear from God. And so, obviously, part of your prayer time should include talking to God about the Scripture, about the portion of the Bible that you've read that day, and waiting to hear from Him about how He wants you to apply it to your life, because, already said, we are to obey God's commands or put them into practice. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the Word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And so when you hear the word, like you're hearing the word preached this Sunday morning, or you read it by yourself each day, we're deceived if we think we are blessed simply by listening to God's word, simply by reading God's word. Where does the blessing come in? The blessing comes in when we do what God's word tells us to do, when we put it into practice, when we obey it. And if we cultivate the habit of listening for God, he will show us things to obey in His Word, even when we thought there was nothing there that applied to us. In fact, that's, that's what human nature tends to do. This applies to my spouse. I better tell her about what I read this morning. Uh, this applies to my kids. You know, this applies to this other person at church. It always applies to everybody else but us. But God wants to apply it to our lives so that our lives change and become more and more like Him. 
Now, notice two of the verses that we've read in this point speak of spending time with God in what part of the day? The morning. And I believe it's best to spend, if it's at all possible, to spend your quiet time with God in the morning before your day gets started. When you spend time with God in the morning, it's putting God first place in your time, is it not? You're getting up, you're meeting with Him. Usually, for most people, the morning is a quiet time. I mean, if you've got children, as we do, uh, if you get up early in the morning, it's before they get up. And it's a quiet time that you can spend with God. It starts your day off on the right track. And you can receive instructions from God for your day in advance. It seems to me that's better than waiting for the evening and God saying, well, you should have done this. Okay, it's too late. You already messed up. You didn't get your instructions from God. So I strongly encourage people to spend their time with God in the morning. When you spend time with God in the evening, in one sense, you're putting God in last place. Now, if you miss the morning, okay, it's better to do it in the evening than not do it at all. You're kind of putting God in last place. And what, when you put God in last place, it's saying, God, if I have any time left at the end of the day, after I've done everything I need to do, if there's any time left, I'll spend it with you. And even if there's time left, God, if I don't have any energy except to turn on the tube, I guess it'll have to wait for another day. And so we're giving him the last place in our life if there's anything left over. And oftentimes, God gets left out. So enough about that. Uh, but I believe that's important. And we could, there's dozens of scriptures that talk about getting up in the morning and meeting with God. Another useful practice in your quiet time is writing down uh, what you hear God speaking to you. If you've never done that before, it can really be very helpful to you. Writing down what you hear God speaking to you about, what you're learning. Writing down your prayer requests. Writing down what you hear God speaking to you. Uh, uh, very important. Again, I'll mention again the Seek God for the City. Uh, if you've been having difficulty in a, having a quiet time with God, this has got something laid out, scriptures to read, ideas for prayers related to our city that can get you in a, in a good habit within 40 days. If you do that regularly for 40 days, you're going to have established a good habit. So if you struggled in the past, use this Seek God for the City these 40 days to establish this habit of a daily quiet time with God. We, I recommend 15 minutes because just about everybody thinks they can find 15 minutes in their day for God. And you can expand that time as you grow in your quiet time. And so the first practice, basic discipleship habit for every believer to spend daily time with God. The second habit we want to talk about today is giving to God regularly. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10 says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits, underline that, the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will bring over new wine. Now, you know, sometimes people find ways to not apply scriptures to themselves. So we read the scripture and you go, I'm not a farmer. I don't have any crops. 
I don't have any barns. I don't have any vats. I guess it doesn't apply to me. Let's move on. Uh, no, no, it's, uh, this is speaking of your income. Now, notice that word, first fruits. You honor the Lord when you give him the first from your income, not the last. We just talked about making God first in your day. Actually, the scripture is even more explicit about giving him a first place in your life and your giving than he even is in spending time with God. You honor the Lord when you give him first from your income before you use any of your income for yourself. You honor him by giving to him first. And as we'll see in all many, many of the scriptures that talk about giving, the Bible has hundreds and hundreds of scriptures on finance, how we should handle our money. He promises to bless you. And so there's a blessing right here. Your barns will be filled to overflowing, even if you don't have barns. Okay, that means he's going to bless you in many, many different ways. So how does God's word instruct us to honor the Lord by giving to God? Well, it's to give your tithes to God's church. Let's read Malachi 3. A little long passage, but a very important key passage. It says, will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord. You might want to underline, test me. Says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. And so this powerful passage teaches us a number of important principles about giving to God. First of all, the Bible teaches that all that we have, including our finances, are gifts from God. Everything we have, I mean, it includes other things in finances, our breath, our relationships, but our finances, it all is a gift from God, and we are to use it at His direction. And in these verses, the prophet Malachi indicates that when God's people do not bring their tithe, and a tithe is 10% of your income, if they don't bring it to their place of worship, he says you're robbing God. You're taking from God what is rightfully His. Why are they robbing God? Because God's Word commands the first 10% of your income to be brought to your place of worship. The Old Testament was the temple or a tabernacle, and the New Testament is the church. And next, as we've seen before, God gives an incredible promise. In fact, he invites people to test him in tithing, to see if he's really true to his word. God says, test me, and if I don't see, oh, he says, test me, and see if I don't bless you in even greater abundance when you start giving to me than you had before you started giving to me. And so when we put God first in our finances by giving him the first 10% of our income, God's word here promises that we will be blessed the second aspect of giving to God regularly is to give your offerings to God. 1 Corinthians 16 says, On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. And so this is a New Testament passage. Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. He's saying to set aside a proportional amount of their income as an offering. And in this case, the offering was to help the church at Jerusalem was going through a difficult time, and so this was a, a missions offering. 
Now, a tithe is the first 10% of your income, which goes to the, to the church. An offering is giving above the tithe. And so in this case, it was a missions offering. And so offering may be given to your local church. It may be given to a ministry outside the local church, such as missions. We support a number of missionaries here in this church. And you can indicate giving to missions of your offerings on uh, the offering envelope that way. Now, Jesus gives us a promise in our giving in Luke 6.38. He says, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So God promises as we obey him in giving tithes and offerings, he's going to bless us in proportion to our giving. Now, just so there's no misunderstanding, God doesn't bless you based on the absolute amount of your giving. Okay, so, you know, if you, if you were a millionaire, I'm not aware of any millionaires, and if you're keeping it very quiet, if you are, um, <clears throat> you say you were a millionaire, or you had, or even more, you had an income of a million dollars a year. Okay, and so your tithe would be 100000 Well, God's really going to bless this guy because he gave $100,000 to the Lord. It's like, no, that's not what he's saying. He's not going to bless that guy any more than the, the person who made $50,000 a year and gave 5000 as a tithe to the God. It's the proportion. And there's a whole other teaching of Jesus, the widow and the mite, and everything that makes that very clear. You give proportionally. It's not the absolute amount. And as you do that, God brings blessing into your life. And so a very important discipleship practice is to give to God regularly in tithes and offerings. Now, why do some people have difficulty in tithing? Well, this is how it goes. Some people will come up to, say, to me and say, well, pastor, I can't tithe. I say, why not? And they'll say, well, pastor, you, you need to understand my situation. I have all these bills, okay, and at the end of the month, there's nothing left. So I can't tithe because, you see, if I tithe, then there would be nothing left at the end of the month. And I, I can't tithe because there's nothing left at the end of the month. Now, what's wrong with that thinking? based on our study today. Is a tithe the last 10%? No, a tithe is the first 10% of your income. And so if you have income, you can tithe. So to say I can't tithe is, is uh, just not correct. Now, you give to God first. If you calculate, suppose a person then says, well, I'm going to calculate this, Pastor. If I tithe, I give the first 10%, and then... I calculate all my bills at the end of the month. That's a negative amount. It's not going to work. Now, if you let that stop you from tithing, what, what does that say? It says that, it says that the companies you're paying bills to are more important to you than whether you give to God what's due him. They're more important to you than what the Bible here calls in Malachi, robbing God. Tithing is a faith step. It's believing God's word is true. It's believing that if you put him first in your finances, somehow he's going to make it work out so that you get all your bills paid. So I, I, it can't be. Well, God has a wonderful way of doing it. We know many, many people I've tithed since I was like five years old and have always had all my needs met. And 
testimony of many, many other people, even those who thought it would never work, they begin tithing, and somehow God works it all out. In the end, their bills are paid, God is, God is worshipped, and blessing comes into their lives. In fact, in Haggai chapter 1, I don't have time to look at that this morning. God says if you don't tithe and put him first in your finances, he's actually going to take finances away from you. He has all kinds of ways he can do that. Car repairs, you know, all kinds of ways he can take finances away from you. And so you're always going to be in need if you don't tithe and put him first. So give to God regularly. He will bless you. Finally, the last practice of a disciple is to be equipped to serve God. Hebrews 13 says, have confidence in your leaders and submit to their authority because they watch over you as those who will give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit for you. And so God has put leaders in the church in order to equip you to serve God and to guide the church. And when you have confidence in your leaders, when you submit to their authority, God's word says that you'll be blessed. Now, let me ask a simple question. When do you have to submit to a leader's authority? When you agree with what they're doing or when you disagree? Well, both in a sense. But I mean, when you agree with what the leader's doing, it's like, okay, yeah, that's great. Submit talks about when you don't agree with the decision. You don't agree with the instruction. That's when God's word commands us to submit. Now, obviously, this is not when some false teacher tells you to do something that's contrary to God's word. Uh, it's when you're being instructed according to God's word. God's word instructs us to submit to the leaders he's put in place so that you and the church will be blessed. God's put leaders in the church so you can learn from church leaders. Ephesians 4 says, Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, and all of those ministry giftings are still operable today, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And so the work of church leaders is not to do all the work in the church. The work of church, church leaders is to equip all the members of the church to do works of service. And we're going to be talking a lot more about that next week when we're talking about the purpose of ministry or serving in the church. The end result of God's people learning and being equipped is that they serve. They serve one another in the church, and the church is built up in every way. And so we need to have an understanding we need to be equipped. We need to learn new things, number one. And secondly, have a willing heart to learn and put into practice what God uh, teaches us through the leaders in the church. Now, not only can we learn from church leaders, we can learn from church resources. I don't really like that word. I mean, it doesn't really convey till I explain it, but it was the best one I could come up with. Uh, 2 Peter 2.1 says, But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And so the Bible warns us in many passages about false prophets, false teachers, whose teaching does not agree with God's word or distorts God's word. The Bible is not here talking about false religions, you know, like Islam and Hinduism. Those are obviously completely false religions. He's talking about teachers, prophets, pastors who claim to be from Christian churches or Christian ministries, but they're teaching wrong things 
and they're deceiving believers. False teaching is rampant today and it's spread very rapidly through the internet. And so we need to be on our guard. False teaching is rampant in churches, it's rampant in Bible study groups, it's rampant in books, Bible study guides, websites, videos, YouTube, everything. is false teaching all over the place. And so we need to be very, very discerning. And one of my goals as a pastor, according to God's word, is to protect, to protect you, to protect the people that are under our care here at Life Church. And so as a pastor, my goal is to make available through Life Church everything you need to be equipped to serve God. Some of the resources that we have available now are the Thrive Discipleship Course, uh, Life Groups, Living Free Groups, which are being kicked off this week, our first Insight Group. Uh, now that's full up already, uh, but there'll be opportunities in the future to take that. The Curriculum of Living Free, our Sunday Growth Classes, and in the future, we intend to have advanced discipleship courses. The Assemblies of God has many wonderful advanced discipleship courses that can equip you for all types of ministry, even credentialed ministry. And hopefully that will happen in the future. And so God wants you to make it a priority to be equipped to serve God. Now one of the next steps that you can take if you're a tender here at Life Church is to participate in an upcoming introduction to our church family membership class. And next week we'll announce the dates of those classes and have them for you. The class is going to lay out in greater detail uh, the whole ministry here at Life Church and how you can be involved and you can make a commitment to be a member there. Uh, you can right now check a box on your Connect card say I'm interested in the class uh, and we'll have the, the dates and the times coming up. We encourage everyone to take the class. Uh, we've had some members. We have had membership classes in the in the in the past, but this is a completely rewritten class, and there's new material there. There's new handouts. We're actually giving books to people that are going to be helpful to you. So we encourage everyone, whether a current member or not, if you don't know or you don't know whether you're a member or not, regardless, we encourage everyone to take the class. That's just one session as opposed to many sessions we had before, and so it's going to be good. So today we've looked at three discipleship practices, habits that will help you grow in God. The first habit, they're all very important. The first one is to spend a daily quiet time with God, reading your Bible and praying, putting it into practice. Next, the faith step of giving to God regularly, your tithes and offerings. Tithe is the first 10% of your income, and God will bless you as you put him first. And finally, making a decision to be equipped by the church for the things that God has for you to serve him. It's important uh, to be equipped. And so God has placed leaders in the church with the mission to help you to become all that God wants you to be, all that God created you to be. And as, as we follow God's direction, as we work together, God is going to continue to do great things in our church family. Now, as we said, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, the first criterion is to become a, a believer in the very first place. And you do that by admitting that you've sinned, done wrong things, be believing in Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross, that your sins might be forgiven. He took our punishment upon himself, finally committing yourself to following Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So let's bow our heads right now. If you've never 
prayed a prayer like this to commit your life to Jesus Christ, I encourage you to pray along with me. Perhaps you want to recommit your life to him, and that would be a great way to do it as well. Pray something like this. You can pray in your own mind. You don't have to pray aloud. But just think this prayer and God will hear you. Father, today I admit I've done wrong things. I followed my own plans for my life, not yours. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life on this planet, died on the cross, took my sins upon himself and paid the price. I believe he rose from the dead and he's alive today. Come into my life. I commit myself to serving you, Jesus, as my Savior and as my Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. For those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the command of Jesus in the Great Commission to go and make disciples, to obey everything that you've commanded. And we want God, first of all, to be disciples that obey your commands, that obey your word. Help us in that, God, we pray. Help us to spend time daily reading our Bibles and praying, God. Help us as we pray to hear from you and put what we've read into practice in our lives. May we obey you by regularly giving tithes and offerings to the local church, God, and so receive your blessing. God, we ask that you help us to be equipped by this church to serve you, to live out our purpose in life as we learn and as we choose to serve you among your church. We thank you, God, for the clear direction that we have from your word. Help us to grow as disciples of Jesus Christ, becoming more and more like him each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.